Keys went it, man! He's gone to give him out, and then he's rubbed his nose. He's his nose. <laughs> yeah. What about to McCullum, Shane? He might be trying to shake the sweet one after that first one. He might try and slide one in there. Fast. Hello and welcome to the SC Playbook Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Williams. We are back in business after a bit of a spell from the NRL season. Mate, that was pretty taxing last couple of weeks for a lot of us there at SC Playbook. We freaking loved it. But it is good to be back and hooking into the big bash side of things. We love our cricket here. Joining me as usual is he's back on deck for the new season. Is the Supercoach Spy Spy? How are you, mate? Mate, buddy, good. Um, pump for cricket season. Footy season was great. Origins being good value, um, but uh, it's that time of year, mate, where the sun's coming out and cricket season begins. I'm a Test cricket man myself, and I love it. But I tell you what, international stars every night on our screens at prime time. Plus a bit of Supercoach. How bloody good. Spy, mate, you have a you have some pretty good recent history in Supercoach Big Bash. Um, uh, yourself and I both, we, we, we're not just doing this for the sake of getting more content out there. We we love our cricket and our Big Bash as much as we love our NRL, so we're that keen to hook into it. Mate, tell us a bit about, about your background in cricket and I suppose more importantly, which is what everyone's here for, hopefully here for, is uh, the Supercoach side of things. That's it, mate. Um, no, no one probably cares too much about my history, but I did play a lot of, lot of cricket growing up. Um, Played some junior reps in like Southern Country stuff and all the rest. Reserve but, Orange Peeler. Uh, nah, mate. Please, batting at three, opening the bowling. <laughs> um, but yeah, in the recent years, mate, just um, sort of taking it pretty steady in the old cricketing scene on the weekends, um, taking the back seat. But Super Coach never ends, so that's that's always good, mate. Um, came came about eight hundred last year from memory, and about roughly twelve hundred the year before. Um, I probably haven't come in as hard into BBL as I have with the NRL in recent years. So hopefully that little bit of extra preparation this year might see me into the top 100. And who knows, maybe I can knock off our next guest, Tomo, for the number one spot. But that's what dreams are there for, mate. That's it, mate. And, and you've touched on it there. Far more importantly than the Supercoach Spy, uh, we do have on board SC Playbook this year, Tomo Aiken, better known as the 2019 Supercoach Big Bash champion. Tomo, welcome, mate. How are you? Yeah, good, thanks. It's um, exciting to be part of the team and I can't wait to um, talk a bit of uh, Supercoach with you. Yeah, sweet, mate. And what I couldn't believe, I asked you to send through a little bit of a biography for your profile on the SC Playbook website. Mate, not only did you win Big Bash last year, you won the NBL fantasy as well. Like, mate, it's 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 a big enough thing for blokes like us to dream to win a Supercoach or a fantasy competition. Two in one year, that's mental. Yeah, pretty good in the space of a couple of weeks as well, so they were very close together. I suppose it shows that lightning sometimes can strike twice, eh? Mate, that is unbelievable. Well, we've, uh, we had Desi, uh, Desi Creek on here for the NRL, last year's champion. We wanted him to go back-to-back. He didn't quite get there uh, by a few places there. <laughs> but, mate, you could be the one to go back-to-back this year. I've read your first article on your, your bargain buyers, and, mate, I've got a bit of faith. It was uh, some pretty impressive insight. Yeah, well, I suppose the dream is to go back-to-back. Uh, let's see if we can uh, get somewhere close to the pointy end again. That's it, mate. Uh, and a bit of a background or a bit of a uh, what we have to look forward to with SC Playbook this year. I won't bore you for too long, but uh, just for anyone new to SC Playbook, what we're about and what we'll be doing for the Big Bash coverage this year. Uh, as I mentioned, we do have Tomo on as a contributor. We've got the Supercoach Spy. Michael Liston's also joining us, who spent 10 years working with Queensland Cricket. Uh, he was finished about 800th last year, has a stack of top 1,000 finishes. He's an NRL Supercoach gun, um, ninth overall in 2014 and three top 100 finishes, so we might eye him off for the NRL content as well. Um, if you are yeah, keen to look at the content on the website, we'll be doing squad analysis of every team leading into the competition, uh, team reveals, positional rankings, international analysis. We've got fixture analysis and a bunch of other things already on there, um, bargain buys that Tomo did for us. Uh, and then when we get into the season, we'll be doing a podcast every week, seven or eight articles per round, um, stacks of stuff there. Um, what we do want, though, is it's obviously our first time going around in 2020 with the Big Bash sort of content. If you have any content ideas or any feedback for us, jump onto our socials at SC Playbook one on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. 
Um, very keen to get your feedback on what we can do to make our product better for you, uh, which we do also have for anyone looking for some additional content, a subscription service, which is $20 for the entire Big Bash season. Uh, you get stacks of additional content, access to the subscriber special podcast, which basically will answer all your questions every week on Big Bash Supercoach and hopefully be able to help out there. Um, but at the same time, there's stacks of free stuff as well. So if you weren't in a position to sign up, um, plenty of content still to read and to listen to. <clears throat> uh, quick two little things to touch on. Our unlimited group um, to join up if you wanted to jump into that. The code is 968821. Uh, and if you did want to have a bit of banter and have a few questions on the website, we've got a forum on there. So drop your questions on there and talk to your fellow super coaches. Enough from me. We're here to listen to Tomo, the champion from last year. Tomo, can you take us through your season for anyone who doesn't know? Mate, I haven't spoken to you about it yet, but how did the season pan out? Were you a comfortable leader a lot of the time? Did you make a late surge in the final few rounds? How did it all pan out? Yeah, fair enough. It seems a very long time ago. Uh, since Supercoach ended for the BBL, there's been a few big world events that have happened. Um, I started off okay, you know, somewhere up there, but not, you know, in the placing, so to speak. I had one early round top 10 score. I think it might have been around four or so from memory. Um, I sort of just went along there and I made my sort of move with a couple of rounds to go and jumped up into first place um, and then managed to hold on. My last couple of round scores weren't massive but uh, just enough to maintain the first place. And um, believe it or not, boys, I didn't actually watch the um, BBL final, um, I think it might have been in February, but I was actually at a cold chisel concert that night, so I was doing the odd um, check of the scores on the phone, but I've never actually watched any vision of the uh, final. There you go. Mate, and to double down on that, you're also a Sixers fan, as am I, so your team was in it. You were there to win a fair bit of cash for overall, and you're at Chisel, mate. How often during the Chisel concert were you checking your phone? Uh, occasionally, but a bit like the weather in Sydney, that night in Brisbane was atrocious. So if you got your phone out of your pocket more than five seconds, it would become drenched and no longer usable. So it was the odd check, but you couldn't do it much, otherwise your phone would be a write-off. Mate, that is madness. We are... I'll get on to you and ask you about that final round because I've got a bit of experience of the final round myself, finishing second in the NRL one. We're nearly going to need a swear jar for every time I mention that during this season that I finished second in the NRL one because you're going to get sick of it as quick as I am saying it. Well, that's not true. But, um, uh, Tomo, how how'd the final round pan out for you, mate? You um, Not pan out, should I say, but how were the nerves across that final weekend of action? Uh, I'm a pretty relaxed sort of customer, so I was I was doing pretty well and um, I was more enjoying the concert and I didn't think there would be any um, games that round because, you know, it was absolutely a tor- torrential rain and, you know, every time the news came on it looked like, you know, there'd be no chance of play, but somehow they managed to get a shortened game on, so I was a bit surprised and, I don't know, it was just good to um, finish on top because my final round score was pretty oh. subpar. Tom, it's a spy here, mate. Um, I remember that weekend. So, two questions for you. One's a, actually one's a statement. Cold chisel are one of the greats. So, I think that's one of the one of the top options if you're going into the last weekend leading. Go to a chisel concert, just enjoy things, and see if you can ride home the win. But secondly, with all that rain around in the final week, I just remember that now. If they didn't get on at all, would that have sewn up the competition for you for good? So were you absolutely praying for a total washout or would they have replayed it? I can't remember. Uh, no, I think it was just if it was washed out, it would have gone to the Sixers. I'm going from memory too, but I think it would have gone on to the Sixers just because they were playing at home that day. So I think there was no play, there was no nothing else, and then there was a bit of debate going, should there be you know backup days or should they have a – another schedule date. So I'm going from memory. I'm pretty sure if that was it, then that was it. Yeah, nice. Mate, um, I'll throw a bit of a vague question, eh? a pretty broad one, but I I think um, with NRL and uh, we don't cover AFL Supercoach, but there's real diehard NRL and AFL Supercoach players out there. Um, You know, the tactics are probably – people know the tactics a little bit more. Um, It's a little bit easier to get a gauge on and uh, conduct your season or navigate your season, should I say. Mate, what did you learn from last year in Supercoach that you can maybe share with the listeners 
that worked for you that was successful? Were there any specific tactics um, in terms of loading up on double players uh, in the double round or, or did you go for single game pods? Um, I think you mentioned you had a bit of success with the VC loophole, mate. Take us through that. Yeah, sure thing. So um, Big Bash um, comes and goes pretty quick. So I think one of the most important things is to be flexible and agile, willing to change your players depending on availability and player form. That's one piece of it. Um, the schedule is so important. You're absolutely right in you know maximising those players on double weeks and their opportunity to score big scores. But you've got to have that balance and play the overall game because if you go too hard on some double week players the next couple of rounds, it can be very hard for you to maintain that score or keep that momentum rolling. Um, I personally like to have depth and have a pretty stable team that gives me options to play with. Um, Weather also needs to be monitored too um, because it severely impacts um, scoring potential, whether that's through abandoned games or very much shortened games. And if you, especially if you've loaded up on some players that are playing double weeks and they've got some fixtures that have some weather doubts about them, um, that is a big uh, risk. So it's like one of those things and a bit like any sort of other super coach. You've got to um, provide a bit of balance, and I did use the uh, VC loophole to um, some good effect last year too, so that would be a strategy I'd be looking to employ again. Yeah, nice, mate. And I I suppose a big one that has probably caught me out at times in the past, and I think most of us uh, in Big Bash Supercoach, is the use of those double-round players and probably uh, over-committing to them at times. Um, Mate... I think we talk about pods for anyone who doesn't know it, the point of difference players, you know, the ones with the low ownership that uh, that send you soaring up the rankings, you know, um, you stray somewhere where everyone else, where the crowd goes another direction. Mate, can you overcommit to double round players? Did you see yourself looking at a, a relatively popular double round player and going, look, if I go against him that 98% of Supercoach own and go with, you know, maybe someone like Marcus Stoinis who has a single game, um you know, there's my point of difference. Did you do that a little bit or did you follow the double round players a lot as well? Uh, mostly follow the double round players, but in saying that any player that you bring into your team or your squad, you want them to be um, a semi-decent scorer. There's no point bringing in a player just because they're on a double double, double um, game week if they're not someone you would want to bring into your side or you think has scoring potential. So there's that definite danger of, going too hard at the double game weeks. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with picking a player that's on a single game that's going to score well and going to stay in your team or near your squad for the rest of the year. Yeah, and I think it'll probably be a little bit easier this year uh, by the look of the rejig buy schedule, uh, buy and sort of double game round schedule, which we'll get to shortly with the spy. Not as many buys this year, which should make navigating that a little bit easier. Um, Mate, you touched on depth. Uh, in your squad. Um, so, you know, they obviously probably talking about the reserve players in your squad that didn't as such play for you that week. We generally um, reserve those positions for, you know, if we can manage it, guys coming up and playing the double game weeks in coming weeks. But that's probably easier said than done. When you talk about depth and having a bit of uh, flexibility in the game weeks, were you spending a little bit extra money on those reserves for that flexibility? Uh, a tad, but if you um, get your initial selections right, then you can have someone on your bench that just increases in value. So I'm again going from memory, but I'm pretty sure last year I started with Nathan Ellis off the bench and he was someone that I could possibly play from Hobart Hurricanes if it was a week that suits. But if it wasn't, he could just stay on the bench and he would score some points and go up in a bit of value. So that's the sort of player looking for that's dependable, stays in your team and you can manipulate around depending on the fixtures if the teams are selected, if that's a possible strategy. And I'd be looking to do that again depending on selections. Yeah, yeah, great shout. Um, and, mate, just the last one on, on your last season, I suppose one of the big questions about any form of super coach or fantasy sports is, you know, the idea is probably that you you have to take risks to win the overall title and, you know, take some Larry left field options. 
Um, seeing, uh, I myself, I, I don't think that is necessarily the case. I think you can play it safe with just the odd pod here and there and maybe a few more pod captaincy choices can get you home. Uh, might not be as easy, but it can work. Mate, did you play things safe last year or did you take a lot of risks? Uh, I didn't go too risky. You don't want to go anything too outrageous because um, there is that idea of the wisdom in the crowd. Um, thinking back, probably the most risky or the most left field strategy was involving the Sydney Sixers on a double game week. Um, both games were heavily predicted to be rain affected. I'm pretty sure they had one that was abandoned against the Hurricanes very early on. And the other game that they had that week was against the Thunder, and I think they lost fairly convincingly as well. So uh, not trading in or trading out my Sixers players that week when lots would have brought them in, I'm sure, on a double game week um, really worked to my advantage. And another one for me is I don't, I'm not a huge fan of those um, international players that come in at a very high price, uh, and especially if they're towards the back end of their career or they're here just for a short stay because by the time they warmed up ready to go, um, they're leaving and a replacement came in. So some people probably got excited last year by um, Stain playing for the Stars or Villiers playing for the Heat, but there's people I never had in my team at any stage last year. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good shout. And, I mean, um, obviously it's a case-by-case example, but you talk about these internationals come in, you know, obviously for the money and that, and, such a mental game cricket and they're they're champions for that reason but you wonder you know how much does this mean to them guys and um ab de villiers who i just i'm obsessed with him like the rest of the world really i remember i loaded up on him captained him every week there's a few double game weeks where he played the single i think i captained him and you know he flopped and there were double gamers going nuts and again that the fact that you've said you didn't have him in your team it doesn't surprise me one bit because he um yeah i mean it makes perfect sense doesn't it <coughs> Just as a quick update, uh, my two favourite cricketers of all time are Ricky Ponting and A.V. de Villiers. And I was lucky enough last year, I was too nervous to put him in my side because I couldn't afford to see him get out low and have him in my supercoach side. So it actually worked out those couple of failures that he had. But I just wanted to mention how disappointing it is not to have him back this year because he's been outstanding in the IPL in recent months and he's back to his absolute best. So fingers crossed to be back next season because, gee, I love that dude. Yeah, well, look, there's, there's funny things happening in the world at the moment. They've opened up the extra international slot for the uh, Big Bash team. So a lot of teams have that third international spot to fill. You know, a bit going on in South African cricket. Um, not that uh, ABD has much to do with it at the moment anyway. So who knows? We'll hold out hope. But... Mate, Tomo, good chat, mate. For, um, we will start taking questions on social media for the following podcast in the preseason. So if you have anything you want to ask Tomo, um, just jump onto those and we'll uh, we'll get them to him for you. Hey, I just want a, a quick shout-out to BBL Legends on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, absolute ripping page for chatting all things Supercoach Big Bash, discussing ideas and whatnot with like-minded fans. Um, they're an absolute cracker. So go and check them out as well. Spy, I'm going to throw to you, mate. Um, fixture analysis. You've done a, a really good write-up and a breakdown of the entire fixture for the 13 rounds leading into the finals, uh, the double game weeks, uh, when they're on, when they're on the buys and whatnot. A uh, little nifty little graphic on there. So get on and check it out, mate. Who are the teams that we should be targeting early on in the season? Yeah, mate. So I've had a real in-depth look at the first sort of five weeks initially. Um, I will get more into the back half of the season as we get there, but there is the graphic up on on our page there. Um, there's basically three key teams initially, and I personally think that you just need to target these players from these teams early on. Um, initially, the Melbourne Stars play the double game week on the first round of the tournament. So for those that don't know, you might have mentioned there, but double game week, they will play twice. So you get twice the points it accumulates from both their matches for a single player. So if Marcus Stoinis is your captain, for example, and he scores 80 runs, takes a wicket, then backs up again on the Sunday and does the same thing, he'll score an absolute monster load of points for you. So double game weeks become so important there. As Tomo mentioned, you don't want to overdo it, but finding that balance is key. So have a look at guys from the Melbourne Stars. They got that opener. Uh, They do have a buy in round three, but that still gives you six trades to get rid of the guys that you started with in round one. So there's not much concern there for me. I think you want to start with somewhere around five Melbourne Stars guys. Um, We'll see what Tomo thinks in a minute if he's had a look at it. But I think five is pretty good. If you really want to have a crack, maybe you can go six, but... 
Five is probably about the number for me, somewhere around that mark. Um, the Hobart Hurricanes have the double game week in round two. <clears throat> so I think it's a really good idea to start with. Personally, I think you can start with three Hurricanes. They've got quite a good side this year. I think there's a bit of talent there. Um, blokes like Darcy Short almost pick themselves. He's expensive, but he's a good cricketer, especially in this form of the game and in Australia. <clears throat> so if you start with three, what that then allows you to do, Adelaide Strikers have the buy round one, but they also have a double game week in round two. So it means you can bring in three strikers into your team for round two. You'll then have three strikers, three hurricanes, which gives you good balance, six double game week players in your squad, and that's mass points for you, especially if you can nail the right dudes there. Um, the beauty of the strikers is they also have the double game week in round three. So leading into round three, you can then bring in two or three more, whatever it may be, and aim to have, say, five strikers or something for that round three clash and, again, just maximise those double points. The beauty of the strikers, Hurricanes and Stars is I really like options from their team. Um, There's a couple of other teams in the competition you might not want to start with five or six, but personally I think you can uh, with these sides. So have a look at the the read I've done up on our webpage. Um, But, yeah, start with Melbourne Stars, guys. Uh, try get two or three Hobart Hurricanes in for round one to set yourself up for that round two double game week. And Adelaide Strikers, you can then load up on them for rounds two and three. You might even start with one on your bench. I know there's a cheapy um, sitting around 60K. I don't have in front of me at the moment, but as a non-player on the bench, maybe you already have a striker on there for round one and you can slot straight in for that uh, round two double game week. After that, really important to know there's in rounds four and five, there's there's no double game weeks or buys. So it just means you can spend a little bit of time there just sort of massaging your squad, getting it right. You don't have to worry about dropping players or bringing people in too quick because um, you do get that three-week lead into the next double game week, which is the Sixers and the Renegades. So it's a really good setup to s- start fast this year and then consolidate your squad on the back of that. Mm, massaging your squad, Spy. That's an analogy I don't know if I want to hear coming from you. It creeps me out a little bit, so let's just ease off on that one. Mate, uh, we've spoken a little bit off air about a little, uh, probably a bit of a strategy you've got to start the season. In past seasons, we've seen a lot of the time a team will play a double round, which will be followed up by a buy round. So you haven't been able to load up on double round players too significantly because it could catch you out the following week. Um Mate, because there's no buys after round three and there's only two teams who have the buy, you're going to be going hard early on double round players and going all in on those early rounds because of that reason? 100%. So you can have a real good crack at them without then worrying about what's going to happen in rounds four and five. So often you might have guys who play the double game week but have the buy immediately after. Then you've got to worry about getting them out. Do you have enough players? What if someone's dropped? All that sort of jazz. But Given the way it's set up this year, I think you don't have to worry too much about that. So in the early rounds, I recommend finding value in those sides and um, just trying to get that real monster start for your squad. And then, as I said, just massage your squad from there. Like All good athletes need a good massage after a win, so you go from there. Oh, mate, um, no good stuff. So the Spire's going to be updating that throughout the season, uh, you know, after every couple of weeks. So that you don't have to do the thinking ahead around the, the buy schedule, uh, the spy will make life easier for you with the double rounds. Uh, but as I said, this year with way less buys, it's going to be a lot less to navigate. Um, and during you know summer, which is obviously peak drinking and festive season and carrying on, uh, it's a good thing that we don't have to worry too, too much about squad breakdown. But, I mean, look, let's face it, we're going to do it anyway. Hey, let's get started on our analysis. We're going to cover the Sixers and the Thunder tonight. Uh, I've done a breakdown of them on the site at the moment, which are up there if you wanted to go and have a look at it, and I'll be doing every other squad. Um, but we'll, we'll do a few each week leading into the, the season, and then we'll, we'll crack on to it from there. We're going to start with the Sydney Sixers. Uh, I'll just jot down a couple of key sort of ins and outs and a few important things around their lineup. Um, obviously, they are the reigning champions, the Sixers. They've recruited Dan Christian and Carlos Brathwaite from the West Indian, uh, who are who Two big key signings as all-rounders for that squad, both very much uh, very much veterans. Big in the sense that Tom Curran, who was the star of last season's BBL, he's set to miss the opening half of the season due to English duty. Uh, England have got a tour of South Africa, which is not yet confirmed due to a few, I think, political issues over there. So we'll keep an eye on that. We'd love to have Tommy Curran for the full season. 
although they may have already taken up their uh, three internationals. Um, James Vince, the other pommy, who's set to be he'll bat at either open or bat at number three for the Sixers. He missed selection for England, hasn't been in a lot of great form, but good for Supercoach because he'll be available the whole tournament. Um, Sixers don't have a buy. The sole double game week is in round six, so there's a bit of time to work with. Um, and then their other – I've put together a predicted starting 11 for round one for them. I've left out Nathan Lyon and Mitch Stark. Game week one starts on December 10. The first test is on December 17 in Adelaide. So you'd think it'd be highly unlikely for them to be playing in that, but we will chase that up closer to that date. Um, but, yeah, so let's look into the sixes. Tomo, we'll start with you, mate. Anyone who's caught your eye there, anyone who's, you know, popular buyers who you're not keen on, I know Tom Kyron, for one, is in about 35% of teams at the moment. He's not going to be playing until about January. Mate, what are your thoughts at the sixes? Yeah, I'm one of those um, people because Tom Curran was one of my uh, linchpins last season, so I'm probably as devastated as anyone that he's not back because he's an absolute gun and does it in every single capacity. Um, One person that was taking my eye was uh, Dan Christian coming across to the Sixers this year. I can only um, think that he's here because not only does he win titles practically anywhere he goes – I think he would be recruited for a bit of a purpose. And depending on who's missing for the Sixers, um, he could be batting high enough and he could bowl overs on a consistent basis. And just at his price at just over uh, $100,000, role dependent, he's someone that I'll be monitoring and looking at very early on in the season. Yeah, he is a good one, and he caught my eye as well. I initially I wasn't that keen on him because I was worried that he might not bowl, um, you know, bowl his four overs or whatnot. But I did have a look into it. He's obviously been the veteran that he is. He's become a T Twenty specialist, like a lot of players do at the end of their careers. He's been over in the UK playing county cricket for knots, so he's got a stack of recent T Twenty form behind him. <clears throat> He's batting relatively high, or relatively high up the order. You know, um, Christian's a pinch hitter. Actually, quick shout out. He's a St. Greg's boy, my old school up in Sydney. So, we, uh, shout out to Christian. Um, mate, they reckon he could have been an absolute superstar rugby league player. Had the choice of playing, I shouldn't say NRL, but playing his league or his cricket. And when you're that good, you just take your pick and Dean Christian probably went out and look after my body and play cricket. Anyway, off that tangent, he scored... Only 128 runs at 12.8 last season in the Big Bash, but overplaying for knots, his most recent game, he scored 23 not out, took four for 23. He's bowling his four overs, which is the big thing, because as I said, he'll come in as a pinch hitter there. Um, it looks like he's a decent chance, particularly with Curran out of rolling the arm over. The only issue I see maybe is that the Sixers only the other day signed up Braithwaite, um, who will also is probably more of a bowler than a batter. Um, I'm hoping Christian bats at six in the order rather than seven ahead of Brathwaite because I do think he's a good buy. But, mate, good shout. Um, is there anywhere anyone else in that, that side that you like, Tomo? Yeah, I like um, – well, I don't like, but I'm, Moses Enriquez is in the same sort of boat as Christian, Daniel Christian. He's going to bat high. He has been back bowling a tad in the Sheffield Shield, nothing outrageous. And I know he's been picked in the Australia A squad as well. Maybe it's just wishful thinking, but if he started to bowl a couple overs each game in Big Bash, gee, he'd be high on my list. But high on my list, but I think that might be wishful thinking, unfortunately. Mate, before they signed up um, Brathwaite, <clears throat> I thought um, Moe Enriquez might have been a chance. Mate, he's coming off a stack of runs in the Shield. Um, he scored. What's his, he's got two centuries this Shield season already. I've got him pegged into bat probably at three for the Sixers, potentially four. If he can roll the – he bowled once in Shield this season, which is encouraging. I, I don't know if he'll be needed in uh, for the Sixers, but, you know, it's not like he's put a line through it and said, you know, injury or whatever, talking or age, I don't want to bowl. He has been bowling a little bit. So, mate, Moe Enriquez is definitely one to look at. Spy, mate, anyone on your radar at the Sixers? <coughs> They're an interesting squad. Um, I agree on your thoughts on Christian. He's certainly got the potential there. 
He doesn't have an unbelievable record batting or bowling, but the beauty of Supercoach is if he can do both, um, and on his day, we know how hard he can hit, and if he can sneak three or four wickets, we've seen him do it before. Um, so he's one to have a look at. I've, I'm of the opinion I'm probably not going to start with many Sixers or Thunder players, uh, the Sydney clubs at this stage, just due to what I spoke about before, and then I'm going to try to target those early double game week teams. And it just so happens the the other remaining spots in my side, I've got some other guys penciled in at the moment. But <clears throat> obviously Josh Phillippe is a pretty exciting young dude. He's very explosive opener. The only thing I would say, I owned him last year and I watched him pretty closely and saw him watch, watched him play a little bit in the IPL as well this year. He goes very, very hard. So he's one of those blokes that he can come off for you. When he's on his day, he can really score points and score points well. Obviously, points super coach wise translates from, from scoring those runs. Um, but he can also fail. Um, he's a top order aggressive opening batsman. So he's got ducks and ones in him. So. That's my worry. It could you don't want to pick him and he gets a couple of low scores early and be off to a slow start. On the flip side, if you want to take the risk on him and he explodes and scores eighty or ninety runs, and that'd be mass mm. points. Spite the fact that he's likely to keep for the Sixers um, and bank a few of those catching points, you know, you know, additional points in the field. Um, you know, we talk about again. I'll transfer. You know, probably the NRL super coach terminology to big bash but we talk about the base and the ceiling of players and the base is you know sort of their minimum score in that um, you know even on a bad day where he gets zero runs hopefully he takes two or three catches behind the stumps and where, where a player who's a batsman only doesn't bowl might field in you know in first slip or something <coughs> might get zero runs and finish with three points for the game does the fact that Philippe is available as a keeper reassure you a little bit or not so much? Oh, it definitely helps, but it's not something I'm banking on either. I mean, there'd be games where he'd get his three catches and stumping or whatever it may be, but there'd be other games he might get zero or one catches. So it's certainly a good little bit of padding and reassurance, but I wouldn't sort of pick him for that reason. You'd sort of hope if he's in your side, he does get a couple of extra catches and whatnot. Um, on Philippi, I'm going to say at this stage, I know it's very early, it's only podcast one, but I'm leaving him out at least to start. Um, it'll be a very nervous watch, be a nervous watch time. Oh. But um, at this stage, I'm going to bank on him for a couple of low scores early. And, gee, I'm nervous thinking about it, but that's my early tip. I'll get back to everyone if I change my mind there. Tomo, mate, you sound upset about that. Please <laughs> please just unleash on the spy. We've been doing it for the last six months with NRL. Um, what are your thoughts on Philippe and the spy leaving him out? Well, it's a big call, isn't it? Because he will open the batting. He'll play every game. He's only just over 150, so he's not an outrageous price. And last year he averaged 30, almost 38 runs, the highest score of 83. And he's sort of on that upward spiral as well as not quite reaching his full potential. So I like the big call. Mm-hmm. He's sitting on my side at the moment, yeah. though. I think that's, that's a bit too brave for me. Well, no, that's fine. And you, sorry, I'll just quickly say the only reason I say that as well is if I have a look down at my initial squad now, I've got like a bloke like Chris Lynn sitting there at 130K. So. Do you have Lynn and Philippi along with double game weight players? Possibly you do, and it might end up that way. But to free up cash elsewhere, I might have to play a bloke like Lynn in front of you and hope he just goes bananas. Mm, if you want to make uh, – I'll, I'll, make, I'll make the spy nervous here, but Philippe, I think he got his 83 not out. as his top score last preparation. I think it was in round one from memory, 189 supercoach points, which you can look at it in two ways. He averaged 52.7 supercoach points last year, and you go, all right, well, that massive 189 point effort has clearly sort of bumped that average up and think, all right, well, maybe it's not as good as it looks on face value. Or you can go, holy shit, he's got 189 points. Like, you know what? I had him in my side round one. And so that's interesting that I'm going off him. And he went, he exploded. And he's so good to watch. But that probably sums up my exact point. He can win it for you or he could lose it for you. You need to be on him when he's scoring those runs. So timing is everything for Joshua. Yeah. Tomo, uh, Sean Abbott's an interesting one. Absolute super coach, superstar. Averaged 85.3 points last season. He's available uh, as, at 219K, so he'll cost you an arm and a leg to start with him this year. He has been named in the Australian Test Squad, uh, which clouds his availability, which makes it a bit of an issue. I mean, we don't expect him probably to get picked for that first test against India. Does he play? I mean, probably firstly, if he doesn't get picked – Let's assume he doesn't get picked in that first test. Do you think he'll play the Sixers' season opener leading into that? 
And also, let's say hypothetically that he does, is he a guy that you want to be forking out the big bucks for early on? Uh, absolutely. If he comes back and he's ready to go, he's been a um, super coach gun now for a long time now. Um, I'm pretty sure he sits second on the all-time BBL wickets taken. He just bowls the right overs. He can pick up quick runs at the end of the innings, and he's a pretty good fielder too. So he does it in all three aspects. I know he's um, quite a big price, but he's a big price for a reason because he's a super coach gun. So with the if he wasn't picked in Australia, you'd have to be um, a brave man to leave him out of your squad. Yeah, my um, my only issue with him is is that. <clears throat> I mean, he took – what did he play? He took 14 wickets at 13.5 last season in the super, uh, in Big Bash. Um, how about his recent Sheffield Shield? I mean, I'm not oblivious. I'm not stupid to the fact that they're completely different formats of cricket and, and transitioning is very different. But to show his ability with the bat, his last five Shield knocks have been 102 not out, 15, 18 not out, 66, and 60 not out. This is a bloke who's coming in at, what, seven or eight for the sixes. Um, it, it shows, again, this year that the sixes do have a lot of depth, particularly with the signing of Brathwaite, Tommy Curran to come back. Um, not too bad at all. Yeah, he um, he's a talented bugger, that's for sure. Very good to watch. Question for you both, just a little bit impromptu. The new rule change of being able to play two power players later in the innings, if they do potentially play them later, do we think it will affect guys like Abbott bowling at the death who potentially will get less catches in the outfield, those easy wickets, and potentially go for more boundaries? I mean, they're only doing one over of it, but still it could have that minor sort of impact. It will be something that will be really interesting to watch. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I've been thinking the last few days since those new rule changes have come out, and they can have a big impact on Supercoach. I mean, the game itself, obviously, but Supercoach scoring in so many different facets. And and the fact that you mentioned it now, we'll do a big segment on it on one of the later podcasts leading into the season. Um, and they're going to affect different members of a side in a lot of different ways. I don't think they're going to impact openers too much. Openers, number three batsman, potentially to less degree, number four batsman, because uh, in a nutshell, basically the power play rule, the, where last year and in the past it's been six straight overs of power play, it's now four overs, and then the second two overs are optional at any stage of the innings. <coughs> I mean, if your two openers are in after four overs, they're going to take their next two straight away, surely. I yep. think I'm ready to it, but you might. Can you take them straight away? You probably can. I'm pretty, I, thought, I thought I read that it was optional. We'll check up. Yeah, I'm not, not allowed. So I don't think it's going to uh, <coughs> impact off-order batsmen too much. Um, but, but in another sense, I mean, who knows where it'll go? And then that ties into the, this new bonus point for the team who have more runs after 10 overs. I feel like, pending that situation, you're going to have to take those power play overs in your first 10 overs. So uh, I just I, I don't see why you'd sort of have too much of a reason to take them after the 10 overs. But, Tomo, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I'm going from memory too. I had a feeling the extra two overs were um... – in the second half of the innings, but again, that's going off memory. Um, I'm not sure yet. I suppose it's one of those things you can think about, but until you've actually seen it in gameplay, um, it's hard to know what's going to happen. I do know with those two overs, similar initiatives have been trialled in cricket before, and teams sort of wait to take the extra power play, and then they sort of lose a wicket and go back into their shell. So I'm not sure what will happen. We'll have to wait and see. Yeah, boys, I've just had a quick check of that. You do have to take it after the 11th over. So right. uh, that's going to be an interesting one because, as I said, you'll be bowling at the death with the field up uh, and on flat wickets. You won't be getting those catches in the outfield. Easy wickets. Like, you know when you own a bloke in super catch and they steam in, get hit high, outfielder runs around, takes the catch, you're absolutely chewing in that last over. Maybe that changes things. Uh, maybe it doesn't. As you said, Tomo, we'll just have to wait and see, but just something to bear in mind a little bit. On Abbott. He's very expensive, uh, but we know how good he is and he's in form. So it's just that decision of whether you want to take that sort of cash on a bike that only plays once in round one or maybe you want to prefer to go yeah. someone like a Darcy Short or Stoinis who plays twice in those opening weeks. But obviously that's all salary cap dependent and mm. on your team balance. Well, yeah, with confirmation <coughs> of that, the, the new overs are have to be taken later on the, the, the last two overs of the power play. Um Again, I'm thinking out loud. There's, there's so much to take in with how they can impact the game, but uh, it's just massive news for pinch hitters for me. 
Um, you know, you think of uh, Ben Cuttings, Dan Christians, these sort of blokes who can come in at the end of the innings. They're now going to have less blokes in the outfield, more space to work with, um, less chance of getting caught in the distance, as the spy um, mentioned. So, yeah, could really play into the hands of pinch hitters and, yeah, Ben Cuttings, the one I'm really thinking of there. Yeah, nice. Uh, let's move on to the Sydney Thunder, who have made two final series in Big Bash history. They won it back in 2015-16, their only title. They won it from fourth place. Uh, it's been a pretty grim decade of Big Bash for them. They have locked in that man, Ben Cuttings' has recruit, and Sam Billings, which is massive. Billings will be out of action, we believe, until the new year when he's done with English duty. Um I've had, a, again, another bit of a look at the predicted 11 for round one. The top seven sort of spots look look pretty locked in. Um, I don't see them changing too much. Ollie Davies is a youngster at 42K who big wraps from Sydney grade cricket. But, again, I, I don't really see where he cracks into that side. Um, the Thunder have no buys. They've got the double game in round eight. Uh, again, the batting line will be easy to chat Supercoach about because they're predictable. Uh, this bowling lineup. You know, you could have four, ten different combinations of bowlers because I, I tried to work it out, uh, and it's really tough. Tom, I, I'll, I'll shoot to you firstly, mate. Anyone who takes <clears throat> your interest there. Uh, well, you boys just mentioned him previously in the role of pinch hitter, but um, a bit like Christian coming to the Sixers, cutting coming from the Heat to the Thunder. I assume that he's been picked for a bit of a role, and if he bowls on a consistent basis, and if he bats high enough, um, that $153,000, he looks like a good purchase. Um, the number four, or who's going to bat in the number four in the Thunder lineup is intriguing for me. I've got I've got Alex Ross at the moment. Yeah, I'm, see, he's one that I'm not oh, no, sure. Sorry, I've got, sorry, I've got I've got Callum Ferguson and then Ross at five. Yeah, so just depending on – he could play as that pinch hitter, he could play as that floater. But if he bats and bowls on a more consistent basis, he's one that um, I'll be looking at, including in my team. Again, role dependent. Yeah. My, my one issue I've got with cutting, mate, you'd be well-pressed to, to comment on this based on last season, but I feel like he's a guy that's either going to win you win your super coach league or lose it because <laughs> – because of the nature of that pinch hitter role, you know, if the top order fire, he might be coming in with two overs to go. He might not get to bat, like, if the top order are firing and he's not needed. And I think it's reflective. Last year, he had scores of 120, 138, 128. He also had four scores under 20 points, including a nine and an eight. And, I mean, even when he does pinch it, there's no guarantee that he, you know, that he comes in and gets run. So, in which case... There's a lot of risk around being cutting. What do you reckon, Tomo? Yeah, there is a bit of risk. I'm certainly hoping that coming to a new team has been promised a bit more of a guaranteed role or a bit more of importance is placed on him. He's one of those ones that he's either rocks or diamonds. Um, hopefully, if I pick him in my team, he's diamonds. But if I choose to bypass him, uh, hopefully he continues on that inconsistent sort of basis. Uh, another one, boys, that I'm quite interested from the Thunder is um, Chris Green, who's just available for a bit over a hundred thousand. Um, he's certainly what you'd call a T Twenty specialist. If you remember, he missed a good chunk of last tournament um, due to a uh, suspect action. But I see him as the most important spinner on the Thunder list. He had a great um, Caribbean Premier League stint. Um, his economy rate was under runnable and amazing. Um, he even got one game where he um, a spell included twenty one dot balls, um, and he went for one for three, oh, yeah. one for three off his four. He had a best of two for ten in the tournament, and he's not going to bat high, and you're not picking him to get any runs. But he's no mug with the bat and might chip in those last few overs. Um, he's someone that Genuine for one hundred and seven thousand that I will be thinking about. <coughs> Tomo, great shout. And I had a bit of a look into to Chris Green. My only query with Green is that so in his 94 T20 games in his career, <clears throat> his economy rate 6.66, which is unheard of. Like that is seriously, seriously low. Like I mean, the best of them are normally around the, the late seven, that area, you know, depending on your role in the team and where, when you bowl. Uh, my issue is that he t- he's taken 74 wickets in 94 career games. <clears throat> 
do, do you see him, Tomo, as a as a bloke who comes in, comes on middle order to stem the flow of runs during, I suppose, that slower period of the game where he might not get those wickets, or are you happy with him regardless? Um, well, he's someone that I think is over the years is getting a bit better at bowling in different aspects of the game. Um, you know, he'd always be great if he was chipping in wickets at the end um, because they're the sort of bowlers you want to target, but. I just think at a hundred, just over a hundred thousand, he's certainly an intriguing prospect. Spy, I'll throw to you and get your thoughts on basically your, your likes, your dislikes of this Thunder. Um, but I want to start with Daniel Sams, who averaged sixty-eight point five last campaign. He's one hundred ninety-six k. Um, I'm really intrigued on your thoughts, and and I'll I'll find. Let me know what you think first. Like, d- firstly, Daniel Sams, yes or no? Oh, he's he's in the yes category. I started with him last year, and he's probably my best player all year. Uber consistent. Uh, he's a great bowler, really good wicket taker. He batted horrifically last year. It wasn't his fault. He came out a couple of times, or more than more than a couple of times in the death overs. He got about three or four golden ducks just swinging the bat, but. He can bat a little bit, so there is that upside if you get some more opportunity. But as a bowling option, uh, he's a really good cricketer. Uh, Aussie pitches to him. He'll skid it through. He can move it a little bit off the deck. Um, I think he's a huge option. Again, I don't know if I'd start with him just because there's guys around his price who will play twice in the first few weeks. So I'd prefer to start with them. But I'll tell you what, as soon as the uh, the fund had their double game week, he'll be near a certainty in my side. Uh, and I hope you can see a bit more, a bit more batting this year. The issue I have with Sam Spy is that um, when I'm picking a round one super coach team or a fantasy sport team uh, in any game that's out there, um, I'm looking at guys who, who are undervalued uh, and that are going to be bolstering my squad value uh, for the longevity of the tournament. Daniel Sams is a guy that I see he took 30 wickets last campaign, which was eight wickets more than second place, which is ridiculous. Um, you know, barring those double game rounds where you've just got to pay the big bucks for the guns, I think Sam's is a guy I see having maybe being an absolute peak value at the moment. Uh, I'm not sure that he can match it. Um, perhaps he can, and perhaps the the upside is that, all right, it maybe will get a few runs and that'll bridge that gap a little bit. What do you reckon? Well, there's two things. He also might continue on with that bowling and bowl super well. Um, but... When you look at that, he's probably that perfect target around round four or five, just leading into that double game week, uh, round five or six, whatever it may be, and you might pick him up cheaper as well. So imagine if you would pick him up for around 150K leading into that double game week, you'd be set. You'd probably keep him for the rest of the tournament. Then. But I agree, there is some risk in taking him for round one. I won't be purely because of the fact that there are guys around that price who play twice and maybe they bat and bowl and are, are pretty reliable across those two games. So, yeah, I probably won't start with him, but he's one of my favourite players uh, in the Thunder. And, mate, <coughs> anyone else, who else in that start, um, Thunder lineup do you like or dislike? Mate, Usman Khawaj is a huge one. He absolutely blitzed the BBL in recent seasons, but he was woefully out of form last year. I started with him, and he really held me back from jumping into that top cover 100. He just couldn't get a run, the poor bastard. But uh, in Shield recently, he's just come off the back of a ton, so we know he's back in some form, batting with confidence. I think at his price, he's a pretty tempting option for round one uh, to have a look at and see if he can, can light up the uh, seen again in the BBL. Uh, the other one would be Alex Hales. We know how good he is. He was, I think, the te- second top run scorer last year, another explosive batsman with a really good record. So he probably falls in that same category as Sam's for me. I probably won't start with him at that price given the draw, but I wouldn't certainly begrudge anyone if they want to jump on him and, and see how he goes. Yeah, Hales is an interesting one. He was the second highest run scorer last year. He scored 576 runs at 38.4 at a strike rate of 147, which is some serious numbers. He only averaged 56.6 in Supercoach, which which screams to me the importance of all-rounders. Yeah, I mean, I think they might have clamped clamped down a little bit this year on the dual bowler batter status in Supercoach, which is a great thing because it opens things up a little bit and you're not just stacking your team with all-rounders. Um, but again, much like Daniel Sams, I'm looking at Hales and going, well, he's priced at 160 a on that average, having scored a stuff load of runs last year. Does he match it? Does he match it? You know, you look at, you know, value to what his price is. Um, 
Tomo, anything to add on Hales or anyone else uh, at the Thunder? Yeah. Um, Kawaja, for me, he's one if I bring him in, he doesn't seem to score very well. If I don't have him, he scores high. So he's one I can just never seem to catch. We all have those sort of players. Hales is that interesting one. Um, it's unbelievable, but he was started, or in the middle part of the tournament, I should say, he bottomed out a titch over 80K which is unbelievable considering the price he is to start this tournament and the fact that he finished in the with the second most runs in the comp. So he's ones I'm not sure sure about, and I agree with you about the importance of all-rounders. Um, the only other one from the Thunder is the keeper, uh, Gilks. Is that how I pronounce it? I'm doing that correctly, Gilks? Close enough, mate. Yeah, that'll, that'll do. Um, he's one. We don't have high standards on this show. <laughs> <laughs> I'll learn that quickly, eh? Um he is one that he looks like he will be their starting keeper. No Lenton this year who kept for them at the back half of last tournament. Billings isn't going to come till halfway. And he did start for them last year and did bat a bit at number four too. So he's a cheapy wicket keeper that I'll be um, having a close, close, close look at. Mm, I noted that, that he batted at four a few starts back uh, in the campaign last year. Hey, Tomo, what uh, what would you want to see Gilks batting at to justify buying him? He's at 62K, so, you know, he's a great bloke to allow you to load up on, on double gamers, the guns at big prices. Um, like, what would you need to see him batting at in the order to pick him or, or would you be tempted if he was at six or seven? Um, yeah, well, as high as possible is always the answer, but even if he was batting mid to lower order, that wouldn't uh, be a complete knock um, just considering the price he's at. Yeah, great shout, mate. Uh, hey, lads, I think that's plenty for week one. We, we were going to try and keep it a little shorter, but let's face it, we say that every time we do a podcast and it doesn't happen. Big Bash is going to be no different, especially in the preseason with so much to talk about. Hey, Tom O, mate, first up, very impressive on debut. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, fellas. Thanks for having me. Stuff, mate. And Spire, mate, uh, the off-season hasn't slowed you down. Impressive. Mate, ready to rumble, back bigger and better. Cheers, guys. As we uh, as we said, uh, do hit us up on our socials if there's any feedback for us, articles you want, uh, open to anything, and we just want to improve as a product. So hit us up, let us know, and we'll go from there. We'll be back next week to tick off a few more teams and continue spinning a few yards. Cheers, guys. <laughs>